Hi, everybody. It is your Game Life podcast for Friday, December 16, 2016. I am a <coughs> um, sick Chris Kohler, um, and uh, here with me is a uh, very well and healthy... Matt Peckham with Time Magazine sending you some virtual uh, NyQuil. Maybe not NyQuil, DayQuil. How about some DayQuil? Oh, please. I, I think people really want to see the podcast with me on NyQuil. Um, I think that'd be really <laughs> exciting for everybody. I'm on Day, uh, this. This podcast is brought to you by DayQuil Severe. Um, DayQuil Severe for when regular DayQuil just doesn't get you through the day. Um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite an illness. It's been fun. Um, so and it just keeps going and going. Um, definitely have a child who goes to daycare if you want to get sick uh, all the time. Um, so it gets a little better. It gets a little better when they get older. Yeah. I don't know why this is. I was sick for two years straight, and then my two-year-old became a four-year-old, and I've been they, sick in like a year. Like, they stop like playing in the sandbox and eating the sand. Probably. Uh, no, that doesn't stop. Neither it does like eating. Neither does really sticking bad. their whole hand in their mouth and you know pretending to retch and thinking that's right. hilarious. But oh, that's funny. Well, and that touching is- everything, <laughs> picking food up off the floor. Somebody was. Ah, I, saw like a, I saw like a friend of a friend who has a. a, a I just I, I find it really funny um, when I read stories about people um, who give their who give their children um, these you know ex, you know achingly postmodern um, names um, these these incredibly elegant uh, names and then tell stories about them and I saw somebody on Facebook like a friend of a friend posting like. Yeah, I had to tell Juniper to stop singing your finger up her butt. (laughs) Yeah, yep. Juniper, stop. Juniper. (laughs) Isn't that a VP, the name for a VPN client? Um, So so I think not. Yeah. So um, moving on from there. So this is going to be, this is our our holiday spectacular. Um, Welcome to our great uh, holiday 2016 uh, finale for the for the for the Game Life podcasting year, um, and uh, we will see you in 2017, probably talking about the Nintendo Switch because uh, they because that's when it's, it's, it's happening. It's happening quickly. It's happening very happening. quickly after the New Year. It's yeah. happening. Jeff, they're really moving on this. I gotta say, so far, Nintendo has done everything right with the Switch absolutely nailed everything. I think they nailed the unveiling. I think they got people very, I think they really got the messaging across. This is a new, (laughs) this is a new system. It's not an accessory for your Wii. Um, And uh, it, it got people very excited about what this thing does and the really the basic concept of it. And then moving on from there, I think the recent appearance on Jimmy Fallon was fantastic because they had that one little hit that they could have done between now and the, the January 13th, uh, you know, big reveal hands-on thing, which is to have somebody be the first person to ever play the Switch, like live on TV. With Jimmy Fallon, works out really well, gets even more people very excited about it. Miyamoto playing the Mario theme with the Roots, you know, very, very smart. Yep. Um, yep. And, yeah, and, I think, I think, I think, and, I think, and, the, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, yeah. and, yeah. and it just seems like now, um, it's 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 still making a whole lot of sense. They're announcing that, you know, the Switch is going to be playable at this New York event. You know, we're we're both going to be there. We're going to play it. A day later, they're going to let the public in to play it, and then they're going to have it at PAX South. And they're going to. I mean, they're really they really want to make Southwest. Sure. Oh yeah, and it's probably going to be at PAX East, and it's probably going to be in a lot of different places. So they're they're really far along in the process. They're really going to release this thing in March. You know, everything seems to be going very well at this point. 
And, I think, sorry, go ahead. I think I agree. No, I agree with, with all that, Chris. I think the only thing that I'm thinking about it right now is that part of why it feels so successful is because of how little we still know about this thing, right? I mean, we have no idea if N- Nintendo, like the thing I think about immediately is we know nothing about its online presence. And we also know Nintendo does online very poorly or has had a lot of problems doing online in a way that's, that, that feels modern or feels contemporaneous yeah. with the other consoles. And we know nothing about that. And like even the, the Jimmy Fallon thing, I'm just playing devil's advocate here a little. Even with the Jimmy Fallon thing, what did we see? We saw him doing what we have already seen everybody else doing on the Wii U and then some kind of like hidden presumptive, like everybody flipped out when Reggie reaches down to touch the switch and, and you know, like, what does that mean? And I'm going, well, it probably was just the button saying, except tra- screen transfer, sure. <laughs> which is like, who cares? But uh, it's like, we don't know. And, and I think what's interesting is in this press release they just put out to which you're referring about this tour they're going to be doing at PAX and South by Southwest, they make that little mention of, when you play this, you're going to be playing it in, in environments that are designed to show off all of the neat new things that the Switch can do. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they refer to like special environments. So my hope is still this thing I talked about on other on prior podcasts is that there are a bunch of things that are going to blow our minds that we really don't see coming yet about Switch. I I mean, if it you know, look uh, as as I think I've said something to this effect before. What they really should do is set up the whole thing. You you walk into the Switch demo area. And it's just it's just toilets. It's just toilets as far as the eye can see. And you and you have a seat and you have your Nintendo Switch and you have Zelda and it's like, oh okay, I can really see this fitting into my life. Um yeah, you're right. Nintendo has not yet um gotten to the bad news. And the question is how much bad news is there gonna be? Because there's bad news with everything, right? And it's all about how do they break it to you. You know, with yep. the PlayStation four, it was yeah, we're gonna start charging you for multiplayer. With the with the PlayStation or with the with the Xbox One, it was ah, eh, we have this like ridiculous DRM system. By the way, you know, um, with the Switch, what's the what is the bad news going to be? And importantly, how is Nintendo going to handle it? And are they going to be smart enough to couch that bad news in the you know within some sort of good news? That's like, well, it's not, it's a trade off. And I really and you're right. I mean, we we know a tiny little bit about the Switch as far as what the hardware is, but we don't know about their their plans for. Um, you know what the ecosystem is like. Uh, are they are they going to introduce a paid online service? Um, and if so, what are the carrots that are going to be there to get you to sign up for that free games? I mean, the the free you know, the games with gold and um, and and PlayStation Plus free games have been such a success for for Microsoft and Sony. Are they going to try to emulate that? Are they going to really try to like bring people into a this robust sort of online service that benefits everybody? It benefits developers. It benefits you know, players and it really benefits them because, because money. Um, so I, I, I don't know. And you, yeah. and you think about, and, and we can talk about this in more detail when we get to super Mario run their mobile mm-hmm. game, but you think about that's probably the, the chief complaint. It was certainly my one big problem with the game is, is that it doesn't feel like Nintendo entirely understands how to do online yet. I mean, here they have an online mandatory game without, yeah. in, without a, a game mechanical validation or justification for its requirement. I mean, it's piracy, basically, you know, in so many words, as they've said. But it feels weird. It feels like, it feels like yeah. EA Spore time, you know? It feels like, like a company that still doesn't have that figured out that consumers aren't going to go along with it, you know? Consumers are not going to get behind that. And so that's my worry about Switch, is what's the, yeah. that thing going to be for Switch? That they, and also, that they do? 
I mean, are they going to tie games to accounts finally? I mean, yes, 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 I understand you have a, everybody has a My Nintendo account right now. Yeah, I get it. But, like, we need those purchases to be tied to that account and that account to be transferable across systems. Because what if your kid breaks your Switch? You know, what if you need to get in? What if you have two kids and they each want to switch? You know, do you want to be, do you want to be buying the same games twice, you know, for each one of your kids who each has a switch? Like, do you really want to be doing that? I think they're going to require. I think they're going to make us. I mean, think about about Mario Run. I think it might happen. Yeah. Mario Run, they, part of the reason they don't want you, uh, they want you online is they want to be able, if you pop it up on your iPhone and your iPad, one of them's going to, I think, barks at you and says, sorry, you can only play it in one place Ah. at at a time. And I think that's that's intentional. I think that's their attempt to yeah. you know, wrestle more money out of the uh, ecosystem. And I don't know. I mean, I can you can see the argument both ways. But from a consumer standpoint, uh, most consumers don't like that. You right? Know, they want to be able to so, buy once and play many. So there's a lot of questions. I mean, again, there's still a lot of open questions about you know old content on the Wii U, about Virtual Console, about you know obviously they're going to want to try to sell you Super Mario Brothers again for the Switch, and and suddenly suddenly that becomes very appealing because. Like, I don't really enjoy that much playing classic games on the 3DS. The screen's small, but, like, you know, if you could play classic Nintendo games on the Switch, and, of course, they'll they'll want to do that. It's like, well, what if I've already paid you 10 bucks, you know, over the course of my life for multiple copies of Super Mario World? Are you just going to, you know, you you know what's on my account? Are you going to credit it? For? So, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And these are all the sort of burning questions that we're going to have going into the Switch um, conference, the Tokyo one. Uh, and with hopefully kind of like executive interviews and things like that that come out of um, the various events that happen around the world, and we can kind of find out some more information about that. Yeah, but then we've got to tell us now because it comes out in March. It's like we need to know. Yeah, and the, the other thing we're expecting with Switch, the other at least as important as all these these things we're talking about, the hardware, is we're probably, I mean, we're gonna, we know we're going to see more launch games, and we may see, you know, whatever some next big thing is. I don't know if it'll be a Mario game or yeah. who knows. I mean, everybody's saying, oh, it'll, you know, maybe it'll be a new Mario game. But that could be, it could be really interesting, and it could be a, you know, a flop. But, but uh, I think expect that to be a huge part of the January January 12th is the Tokyo live stream. And then immediately following January 13th, that's a Friday, Friday, the 13th will be a, (laughs) will be our hands on you and I'll be in New York city. That's right. We will be going hands on with the thing. So, all right. So uh, let's, let's keep talking about Mario run because we, I think that today we want, we got to catch up on the three big releases of the past couple of weeks, which is Mario run final fantasy 15. Um, which I did just I did just complete recently, and uh, the Last Guardian. So we'll move into Mario Run to continue our Nintendo discussion here. Um, you had a great you had a great uh, piece up on Wired. You got to talk to uh, Miyamoto, and you learned some pretty interesting things. I don't think anybody else knew. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense that they had in the past tried doing this sort of one hand, one touch Mario um, game uh, on the Wii. Um, but then ultimately decided it wasn't really fit for the console because then in, in that case it was more like restricting what the player could do. But but with the with the with iOS, you know, the fact that you really only could do a one touch input, um, then it made a lot more sense. But it it makes sense that this is something that Nintendo has been thinking about, you know, possibly before there were even smartphones. Yeah. Do you do you play it by the way? Do you play it one handed or do you play it as I do, I do. holding with one hand and then pecking at it with the other? I finger? play it the way Miyamoto says I'm supposed to, which is eating a hamburger uh, in one hand <laughs> um, and playing it. Although I found that uh, it, that really that really 
tanks my ability to to play the game. <laughs> but uh, Miyamoto says so. I, I guess I got to do it. Um, I do play it one handed. Ah, very good. Yeah, yeah, I can't. My thumb, my thumb, yeah. uh, my right thumb. Uh, I, I spiral fractured it when I was uh, younger, okay. and it's fine. It's fine. I mean, I can actually play the piano with it and everything. But when I'm, for whatever reason, when I'm pressing down, I'm showing Chris my thumb pressing down here. If I'm like pressing down or whatever, it just isn't as nimble or consistent. I, I mean, it's great for thumbsticks, but. I'm right-handed. Yeah, but, but I am I'm, not a left-hander. I'm right-handed too, but sometimes I play it with my left hand. You should try. Then it. you're then you are ambidextrous, Chris no, Kohler. No, it's only a Mar- <laughs> it's only a one-touch Mario game. Um, All right, now the fair enough. Is, I should I should try it. This game looks like a Mario game, and it obviously has Mario in it, but it's not. You don't play it like a Mario game, and you have to you have to get yourself out of the idea that you're going to play this like a Mario game. Like the the fact that Mario can't go backwards, like you you have to get used to that. Um, and, yeah, I and also, if you're playing the Toad Rally part of it, um, the style points matter a lot, um, which is to say when you go over an enemy, if you do an extra tap, or even when you're, like, rolling on the ground, if you jump out of the roll, or if you, like, flip up when you're hanging onto a wall, all of those little stylistic things, that get you points. Yeah, and, 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 and as you just mentioned uh, before, it is, it looks like if you're watching videos of Super Mario Run, but you haven't tried it, it's not going to be clear what it what that means because it looks like if you're just watching a video, it just looks like a Mario game. I mean, there, you can see the little right. differences here and there, but you have to play it to realize that Mario is automatically running. You're not controlling him at all in that sense, and you're really what you're doing is you're, your finger tapping or tap holding or tapping and swiping is interrupting him. So the whole idea of of playing super mario run is that it's an interruption game like how can you interrupt mario at the right moments and redirect his his you know his vectors on screen and you can even and this i found kind of cool this is actually one of my favorite things about the game because you know the coin tiers it has collectibles you're going through like like the stars and the uh, uh console mario games you're trying to collect these colored coins and once you collect all of them in a stage then you have the option to collect another type of coin and, and another uh, the other colored coin is like a difficulty level bump and they're placed in, in much more difficult positions and you have to do things like figure out how to go backwards in a game that only wants you to go forwards, meaning, you know, leaping backwards off a wall or using using some of its little uh, uh, tricks. Like if you die, instead of uh, restarting at a checkpoint, you go into a bubble and then that bubble will start to move backwards. And then you can sort of strategically decide where you want to pop the bubble. And so you can actually die on purpose and use it as a mechanism for getting yourself back to a place that you couldn't get to. Rather than die on purpose, you can actually, did you know you can tap the icon that says how many bubbles you have left and bubble yourself at any time? Oh, Chris Kohler, you're teaching me something. You're teaching me something I did not know. That's awesome. Okay. This game, there are things in this game that um, it does not teach you as part of the tutorial. Um, It's 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 more complicated than it initially seems. Uh, If you go into the notebook um, on the map screen or on the kingdom screen, there's like settings and then notebook um, or menu and then notebook. Um, it will tell you about some of these things. And yeah, you can tap that icon and put yourself into a bubble if you want to go backwards um, to, to pick up a coin that you might have missed. Also, when you're in the air, if you swipe backwards, you will slow Mario's forward momentum. So yes, yes, yes. I knew really that because... interesting. There's a lot going on here. 
you can use that mid jump. Like if you're mid jump and you swipe backwards, you will drop straight down. You can, if you need to land right on top of something and you're like at the apex of your jump and you, you know, you're going to overshoot it. You can just, you know, swipe and tap and bam, you know, bam, he just goes straight down, lands on it, continues on his way. Um, yeah, mind, mind officially blown, Chris. I did not know you could actually willfully go into the, well, you can willfully go in by killing yourself. By killing yourself. So I've, I've been, I've been a suicidal Mario player and uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for, <laughs> yeah. so, so yeah. The idea is they, they want you to keep playing this game, you know, every day, obviously, um, by getting you to play more toad rallies, which is when you sort of go up against the ghosts of another player, um, by playing the bonus games that you can unlock as you build your kingdom, which sort of reset every eight hours, all that kind of stuff. But the weird thing is, the strange thing is, after you pay them $10, I'm not sure what the motivation is for Nintendo to keep you logging in every single day all the time. Like, I don't know I don't know what their plans are for this game in terms of, like, is there going to be further monetization? You know, like, is there going to be a reason to keep people playing the game over and over and over again after they've already paid their 10 bucks? It's a great question. It was my question because the, the the Mushroom Kingdom is kind of not all that interesting. You can yeah. you can add these little bits and bobs, and then you can play a couple of mini games, and you can unlock a couple of secret courses and and that sort of thing. For me, the primary appeal is is those twenty four times three stages because they feel like twenty four yeah. times three stage. They don't feel Absolutely. like twenty four stages. They feel That's like right. whatever twenty four times three is. Someone yep. that's smarter than me can do the math. Um. But yeah, the, the the Toad Rally, I'm playing them right now to get the daily, you know, do the daily, and uh, I'm kind of poking around in the Mushroom Kingdom, but I'm I'm hoping that they're going to uh, use that to kind of create, not Sim Mario, but I mean, they, they've referred to it as like Farmville a little bit, right? Yeah. Or, or I, I've heard people refer to it as Farmville-ish. So who knows? I mean, it's one most, of those things that... In the that, most absolute basic sense of like buying things and then dropping them down to create your own little kingdom. But the thing is, it's like they... All of that kind of ties back into the game. Like you can collect toads in Toad Rally um, to unlock things to place in your kingdom, and the things you place in your kingdom, uh, some like to get the main to get Yoshi to be able to play as Yoshi, you have to drop down Yoshi's house in your kingdom. That's right. how you unlock Yoshi. So everything all kind of ties together. So it it keeps you using all those different things. But it feels Even like if you don't it think would be... you want to do the Farmville kind of stuff, you kind of have to. It would be so cool, and now I'm mm-hmm. now I'm wanting a game that Nintendo. You know, now I'm doing. I'm right. making that mistake right. of designing the game, but it would be really cool if those Mushroom Kingdoms, if your Mushroom King- Kingdom could interact with someone else's Mushroom ah. Kingdom, and you could even, you know, I don't know, like add a little Super Mario Makerish element in there where you could uh, you could be sort of uh, making levels that other players could play. You know yeah. what I mean? And, yeah, I don't and know. challenging I don't know each other. I'm I'm really curious as to what their like long term plan is, or if one even exists. Um, I mean, maybe the long term plan is just to keep adding new stuff to these modes to get more people interested in playing the game and giving them ten dollars. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know, but I'm very happy. I am. I'm it's fun. It's a fun game. Thrilled with the. It is perfect for me. Like if this was a if this were a console Mario game, I would be a little disappointed. There's not enough to keep me coming back. But yeah. as a mobile thing that I'm going to pop out for two or three minutes at a time, I'm going to run yep. run through a level or two, and then I'm going to put it away. I've got I've got weeks, if not months, of trying to collect those black coins. Good. good, good also, God. you know, if you look at this as a um as a long game, I mean, really, because it's it's. 
mobile is not necessarily about making one game. It's about making more games that fit together that you can sell people on other games and more games after that, right? Um, Mitomo widely disliked, but it got a lot of people to create my Nintendo accounts. Mario Run, a a simple game that, but it got 2.5 million people to download it, and they're pushing those people to create my Nintendo accounts. Nintendo is going to ship Animal Crossing and Fire Emblem this fiscal year. Like they, like Reggie reiterated that in an interview, said like, we, we're still doing this. Like more mobile is coming uh, from Nintendo and those, uh, and, and if they can, if they can leverage and try to get all those millions of Mario, Mario seems like Mario seems like the loss leader. Mario seems yes. like, they're they're putting it out there as an, a really exciting game uh, to get people really interested in Nintendo on mobile, and then you know maybe Animal Crossing is pay to win. You know maybe maybe Fire Emblem is pay to win. Maybe they go after the whales with those games. Maybe I mean that would be a break with Iwata. That would be a, ba- a break with the the free to start as opposed to free to play. Like Super Mario Run is very much in keeping with Iwata's free to start. You get. It's, you have a demo mode. You can play through the first three levels of the first world, 1-1, 1-2, 1-3. And then when you get to 1-4, it pops up and says that you can preview this for 20 seconds or otherwise pay me $10 one time. Yep. And, then you, and then you can have every, you know the whole yeah. uh, uh, buffet. Um, I don't know. I, I, guess, uh, I guess I don't know. I guess we'll see. I just, I just don't I think, think, I don't think they're going to go pay to win. Though, but I did. I do. I do know this. I talked maybe to Reggie. Not, maybe not pay to win, but allow people to spend tons of money if they really want to. But then again, on the other hand, to make the counter argument, I talked to Reggie I, I, around the Super the Super Mario Run thing that happened last week, and I asked him this question. I said, you know, Reggie, Mister Kimishima told me that the plan was still to use mobile to drive consumer attention back to Nintendo's core platforms, right? That's right. So mobile is a constellation, a satellite effort to, you know, that, that, that exists, that it exists at all is to, designed to drive people back to switch and 3ds and whatever else Nintendo decides to do in its own, in its own uh, uh, stable. And he said, or, or I said, what happens if super Mario run, you know, Pokemon go did insane, even though that's only partly you super Mario run is probably going to do insane. Insanely good, you know, business. Um, if you have, if you, I said, at what point does it become silly not to drink from the fire hose? At what point do you not look at mobile yeah. and go, how can we not do this? We're what? doing too well here. Who took and, who took my Matt Peckham and replaced him with a clone of Chris Kohler? That's uh, <laughs> incredible. So, so Reggie's response was, and this I thought I haven't put this interview up yet, so you're getting an exclusive here, Chris, because I haven't put thanks. this up yet. But Reggie's response was very frank. I mean, he he basically said, look. Uh, we are not saying that we won't drink from the fire hose. So, so whatever, whatever, you know, in other words, he was just acknowledging, I think, you know, the business reality here. We, yeah. we were saying this one thing two years ago, but we're not necessarily saying that anymore. Oh, <laughs> if we do, if we do really well here in the mobile get, space, get that know, interview I mean, up. I want to read this interview. Yeah. So there's, Look, uh, this is, there's that precisely what I said, you know, a long time ago, which is when, when everybody was talking about Nintendo and mobile, um, the analogy that I used, which I stand by to this day, is that you don't get a little bit pregnant. Um, <laughs> you as like once you're pregnant, you're you're pregnant. You can't just you can't just dip a toe into the pregnancy thing. Um, 
Nintendo is probably going... I mean, look at all of this stuff that's happening. Nintendo was like, oh, you know, we're doing all these things to try to drive attention back to our platform, the Switch. We're doing uh, a, a massive, multi-whatever-million-dollar Universal Studios lands in every, in all three Universal Studios parks. We have the NES Classic, which is which is selling like, you know... Um, what the insert breakfast food here? Um, you got <laughs> Nintendo Mobile Super Mario Run comes out. It's the most day one downloads ever on the App Store, um, and and these other things that are happening. It's like these these other little side projects could be easily become more popular and more lucrative than the the Switch. That that Nintendo is is doing these things to try to drive people to purchase, um, and all of the different tails might start wagging the dog, and suddenly Nintendo is this company that does all these. And in the, you know, I I think that they should go after the things that people actually want from Nintendo. But this idea that they're only there to support the the core business they they may very very quickly become the core business. Um, yeah. especially if this, if, especially if switch comes out that it only does as well as Wii U, And it's like, oops, like it, you know, maybe people don't want to buy a Nintendo branded hardware at all. Even if it is more appealing than the, than the Wii U, mm-hmm. like who knows this thing is not a guarantee. So that's, that is the situation in which they yes. find themselves. That is interesting that, that I, again, I, I feel like they'll be drinking from that fire <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they well, will. What, yeah. What do you think about this? Uh, what do you? I mean, I, I, I don't know. What do you think about this? <laughs> these stories that come out. You know, Super Mario Run comes out, and suddenly Nintendo's stock tanks, like whatever it was, two billion dollars in value. Apparently, just because investors think the ten dollar buy once tag is too high, and Nintendo is, you know, should be ninety nine cents. I think that is that just silly. Yeah, I think, I, I think I, it's. I think I, it's pretty silly. I think Mario Run. I don't think Mario Run is the end game. I think Mario Run is like the the second. Like it, it, this is this is a lengthy turn based boss battle, and Mario Run is like the second turn of buffing their characters <laughs> the, before they start casting the you know Ultima. Um, something Ooh, something a Final reference Fantasy, to a Final Fantasy and Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say yeah. You're preparing to segue here. I am. I am preparing to segue into Final Fantasy 15 discussions. Um, as you as you may know, we are a disfavored outlet in the eyes of Square Enix, and we're not invited to review Final Fantasy 15 um, uh, in time for its release. We uh, we received the game, uh, of, I think, a few hours before it it went live. Um, and Final Fantasy 15 is a short game, but it's not that short. It wasn't short enough. Um, and the other, the other issue of course, was that, you know, it's, it's just me and, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, wired podcast, uh, host Julie Muncie, who is currently getting dental work done. is not here for our final spectacular, sadly, but she'll be back everybody. Um, we're a small staff. By the time they sent me Final Fantasy 15, I already had The Last Guardian. So 
what am I going to do? I'm, of course, I'm going to play the game that I have in advance of release where I can put the review out when people care about reviews, which is when the game comes out. So I then played Final Fantasy 15 following um, the release of the, the, the reviews of The Last Guardian. It's pretty good. It's all right. I think the, I think the, the first 15 hours that you kind of spend in the open world, there's some beautiful stuff in there. I think the back half of the game is a complete mess. Um, I have not done any of any post, you know, credits kind of stuff that you can do. Um, but that back half is, is such a mess and there are redeeming. I mean, the ending is good. Like the, the ending of the game, I think the boss fights are about as good as they were going to get with that combat system, which is to say, mashing buttons and drinking potions that it, it kind of, I think it kind of shows the limitations maybe of the combat system. They weren't really, they were able to do boss fights that had really fun visual kind of stuff going on, but you know, we're just not very strategic um, as, as little is, but it finishes strongly enough. I think the, I mean, and you can really tell, and what I really like about the game is they realized that final fantasy had, had, become very not Final Fantasy and they're like, what can we do to show people that we want to be a Final Fantasy again? And a lot of that was very kind of superficial level stuff like the Final Fantasy theme music, crystals, tonberries, um, that, you know, uh, uh, pro- right pro- pro- Prospero occasionally humming the Chocobo theme. That was right? funny. Yeah, you know, little all the little the little you know nods and witticisms and bits of humor were were very well done. I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. but but that's like but, the, but to be fair, that is fan service, right? That like that's not gameplay. That's just that's just like let's is, remind you how sweet this is, right? So, right and I right. liked it. I mean, as a fan of the series, I I enjoyed yeah. it. I like that stuff. But I mean, this yeah, and I mean that I have always felt like Final Fantasy should. I mean, it's. Hearing the hearing the Final Fantasy you know theme at the end of a Final Fantasy game is like hearing the the Star Wars opening theme at the beginning of a of a Star Wars film you know like it's it's important. Um, it is. I have to I, say, I I, I don't. So like I'm of the... minds of like, is it fan service or no? Actually, this stuff really should be in there. I was just going to say the it, it, it's it's ironic because the one thing that I don't like about Final Fantasy is that darn theme song. It's just a as a musician, it's just a pentatonic scale <laughs> that you go up, you know, up to the you know however many octaves and down, and then you go down to the minor. It's a major pentatonic gonna, and then a, a minor I'm pentatonic. Gonna stop, I'm going to stop you right there. That's not the All Final right. Fantasy theme song. That's the oh. that's the intro, the 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 the, the prelude, or the, the sort of the crystal related music. But the Final Fantasy theme song is. The, the song that plays when they're crossing the bridge in Final Fantasy 1, it's the song that plays when, I'm not going to hum it because I'm too sick, but the, the, the song that plays when, when Cecil and Kane leave the castle at the beginning of Final Fantasy 4, and it's the song that plays in the, ver- in the very final scene uh, of the game. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but that, amb- that very ambiguous ending scene right. where, we see, where we see characters that are supposed to be dead. Um, yeah, so now I'm, now you're, you're, you have me looking this up here, Chris, because I have all of, of the soundtracks. <laughs> that piece of music is known as Final Fantasy. That's, 
that is actually the the title theme of the of Final yeah, Fantasy. Yeah, maybe maybe it's the uh, maybe it's that do they call it the prelude? I mean, the thing that people most identify is that pentatonic scale. I mean, they yeah. may not call it the theme song, but, but it is. It's the theme song. It's just maybe but it's, not. But it's not. But it's not. <laughs> I'm going to challenge you on this. <laughs> that was a very simple. Well, hey, it's not the theme song. Um, it is a. It is a piece of music that occurs in Final Fantasy games, but but it's not the Final Fantasy theme song. That that I th- I think that was written in like a very very short amount of time uh, in Final Fantasy One. I, th- I believe the story was like. Sakaguchi went to Uematsu when there was like no time left on deadline. He was like, "Oh, we need one more piece of music, and it's, it's got to go here. We need it fast." You're you're right. I just I just looked, and I've I just always think oh, of because I? you know at the credits. Now you're you're always right about anything that has to do with these things, Chris. Come on, everybody knows that. No, it's the uh, it's the, the one just for since he won't hum it, I'll hum it. It's the one that goes da 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 da. Beautiful. That's right. That's the that's the theme song. The one that that's I'm thinking of is the pentatonic that goes da 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 da. And I'm not going to sing it because it's too high, but. Right. Anyway, I always think of that as the one because my first Final Fantasy game was actually Final Fantasy IV, um, Ni Final Fantasy II, before they mm-hmm. changed the name on, on the SNES, and that was what always came up at the credits. So that's what I, that's what I always think of as the... Right. But yes. point made. But it ain't. Um, <laughs> you got it. All right. And I, and I think putting that piece of music in at the very, very... Uh, well, again, spoilers, yeah, it's in there. Um, so all that kind of fan service stuff, it's nice. Um, and it is... It, I, I feel like it's slightly more than fan service. I feel like it's an it an acknowledgement that like Final Fantasy has lost its Final Fantasy esque elements, and we want to put that in. But they grafted that stuff onto the skeleton of a previously existing game. Like I feel like when we're playing the open world game and driving around in the car, we're playing Final Fantasy fifteen, and when we're stuck in like the most boring warehouse uh, in the world. Um, that's where we're playing like Final Fantasy versus thirteen, and they're and they have to keep that stuff around because they they had no choice. Interesting. Yeah, I'd I like to say I'd like to see this team do Final Fantasy sixteen from scratch and not be tied because when the new team came in, they still had to use the same characters, the same kind of story outlines, the same all this kind of stuff. They were kind of jailed to to using all this stuff that had already been done. It'd be nice to see them just start from zero and do something that is entirely their work and has this this these new ideas of of trying to make it more of a as they say Western RPG type series, this open world RPG, and really do it from the beginning. And yet, I have a feeling we're going to be waiting such a long time for Final Fantasy 16 at this point. I have no idea what Final Fantasy 16 is is going to be or. or I can't even think if, yeah. uh, if there's, I mean, there's going to be one. Like I have no idea. Who knows? It, it, at some point, you almost want to restart the numerology just because it starts to sound a little weird. You know, Final Fantasy twenty five, twenty three. You know, this is, there's a reason yeah. why people reboot. You know, Spider Man right. and all that sort of thing is That's, to kind of get out of the yet, number game. Final Fantasy is the one. Well, Dragon Quest, but like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest, they've never rebooted the, the numerology, um, and be, because that it they they like having that sort of storied history you know that kind of stretches back to the first game that unbroken kind of line um yeah i don't know I don't so know i wasn't 
I wasn't as bothered as Chris as you were as Chris was about the the, the back half yeah. in, with Final F- Fantasy 15. I mean, I was kind of expecting it. I was, you know, uh, Tabata had kind of nodded to the to it as much, hinted that this is where it's going to go. There's some weirdness about how you get in and out of that to go back into the open world. And um, did you watch Kingsglaive, by the way? Not that you no. should have had to, but there there was it it changes your relationship to the game a little bit. I'm not saying that it, 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 you know, I understand the argument. You shouldn't have to watch a movie to understand all of the sort of the nuances and things that are going on. But Kingsglaive was a better movie than I was expecting it to be based on okay. the number of people who said, this sucks. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I'm expecting a different thing when I watch a Final Fantasy movie, right? I mean, it's like Roger Ebert going to, to see a popcorn movie and giving the mummy three out of four stars and saying, it's a great popcorn movie. I kind of yeah. have that relationship to the, to the Square Enix movies. I think my if I had if my frustration with Final Fantasy 15 and it is continuing in this holiday DLC that we just found out about here here and and we were getting at this when you and I originally played this together and wrote a piece for Wired back when I was writing for you you know 2 years ago or whatever it was and that is that okay so number 1 it's and they had this problem in Final Fantasy 13-2 the difficulty spikes the, the way the the difficulty progression occurs. It's it's a very strange spasmodic sine wave. I mean, you go along and it is way too easy for huge tracts of time, and then it is suddenly ridiculously difficult. And then suddenly it's easy again, and then suddenly ridiculously difficult. Yeah. And there's no, really way, there's no real way to go in and tweak that, the normal mode. You can't up, up, up tweak the difficulty. And so the, the, to tie that into the thing you and I were writing about two years ago, our worry, I think at the time, was that there was a lot of crowdsourcing going on. Like, let's put this demo out, um, episode Duske, and let's get a lot of feedback from players, and then let's kind of change the combat around and make it so that people like it. And right away, I, I don't like that when developers do that. I mean, I almost don't even like it in MMOs, although I understand why they do that. I want you to give, you know, bring me your best. Give me your best, and if it's if it fails, it maybe then at least it fails magnificently. But if you're going to just keep tweaking things and changing and pulling the rug out from underneath me, and this this holiday DLC that's coming out now is going to just add all this stuff. You know, you can um, uh, you can turn off level leveling, or turn off experience points rather, so that you don't gain experience points if you want to cha- you know the challenge of just playing what and not the- getting any rewards. Oh, <laughs> you can yeah. you can put on an item basically, and it will remove experience points. And I'm thinking, well, no, that's not what I want. What I want is maybe a way to attenuate the flow somehow. I mean, something that I still want to get some kind of a reward, but maybe I just don't like the reward I'm getting. You know, it, it, I guess it feels like a simplistic way of, of going at, at this problem that people have with the difficulty being either too little or too much. It, it feels like, you know, fixing some of these problems requires real work. Yeah. It requires going in and thinking about your ecosystem and whether it's balanced properly. It, it requires thinking about where people are in the game and what they might level also, they might be and all that stuff. It's so weird. The idea that this is happening with like a single player game that they're going to just start making all of these little tweaks um, to the, and so the, it is very strange, the idea that the open world um, ends at some point, and then you kind of get funneled into the, the 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 linear rest of the game, and then you can go back to that open world and mess around. I mean, it's it's an interesting way they've set it up, but just the, the fact that they're, they, they just seem to have these, like, really long-term plans um, for messing with the content in this game. 
um, it's it's kind of surprising. It's like as you say, just... it's it's the inverse, by the way, of Final Fantasy thirteen, right? Final Fantasy thirteen was like twenty five hours of of linearity, followed by this. You know, you went down to I forget the name of the of the world that you went down to, but this huge. You know, open world that kind of feels in some way, felt in some ways like a, a, a precursor to, uh, you know, to this world. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like that doesn't. And so now I'm gonna now I'm gonna get myself in trouble by reminding everybody that I actually liked Final Fantasy 13. I think I reviewed it for GameSpy and gave it. I gave it, and I'm I stand by this four and a half out of five stars because I loved that for the reasons that Tabata gives. I'm not. I'm trying to remember somebody did like a YouTube comparison of all of the older final fantasies, like all of them to, to sort of remind people just how linear they actually are. (laughs) You know, like everybody complains about this and it's kind of because we've since played Skyrim and well, I don't know if we played Skyrim before final fantasy 13, but we played oblivion and we've played these Morrowind. And so we were like, well, do that, do that. Um, But we forget that the original final fantasies, I mean, seven, eight, nine are all pretty linear slogs until you kind of break out into, and even thereafter. And Tabata's argument is, and I buy this, is um, is that sometimes you need to have that sort of directorial control to control the pacing, sure. the emotional resonance. Now, that doesn't mean they do it well. That doesn't mean that they get that part right. You can still screw that up. That's not defending badly implemented linearity, right? But uh, but I'm not. I don't. I don't hit that linear wall and go, oh God, you know, you've taken away my freedom. I want to be able to go anywhere and so on and so forth. I was and so I was kind of ready for that, and it didn't bother me in the sense that I think um, I see some people being bothered with it. Although I'm sympathetic. I don't want to. I think there's episodes of. Um... I think Retronauts, uh, I think you can go back and listen to me take down Final Fantasy 13. I don't want to relitigate uh, the whole thing. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> it's right. There'll be, I'll get enough. I'll get a bunch of, of, of hate tweets just for saying that. So it's okay. They'll do, other people will do the job for yeah. <laughs> Um, You can read my review. If you go archives out at GameSpot, you can see my wow. argument out there. I loved, uh, I loved the idea that they were, that they used it as a way to, to, um, I mean, I just love the combat system. Final Fantasy Thirteen to me was all about that sort of layer upon layer upon layer of real-time combat, mm-hmm. you know, hybrid real-time turn-based combat. So I didn't care. Like, I stopped noticing I was in a tunnel because it was just one interesting uh, tactical, strategic battle after another. And, I mean, I couldn't get enough of it. So Right, right, right. Um, so, yeah, Final Fantasy Fifteen. Final, I mean, you know, I, I can't, <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to like, I, I, don't, I haven't really written anything about it yet. I think that they have done enough to keep Final Fantasy on people's minds and to show that they can do something interesting and unique within the, the Final Fantasy world. Um, it it would have been nice if they had totally nailed it. Um, I don't think that they did. Um, but there's enough good stuff in there that it will certainly be a memorable experience. Um, now that they have kind of like gotten this albatross off of their neck of this this game they could never release, I'm really interested to see what the what is the future of. Of, of the Final Fantasy series. Because I don't think it's a given that 
they're they're going to be able to move on and do another huge ass Final Fantasy game like this in a in a reasonable turnaround. Um, and yeah. and again, you know, there there may not be a product titled Final Fantasy sixteen. Um, they, yeah, we don't they know. Might, there was... they might they might cut it off here. There was a parallel thing too that we didn't we haven't really talked about, but I think you and I kind of noodled with it. World of Final Fantasy came out yeah. here a month or two ago, and that's kind of the old sort of sort of tribute to the super deformed characters, kind of small, strange hair, and uh, very you know more cutesy and 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 uh, uh, I don't want to say childlike, but kind of it would appeal to that type of younger player. Um, I didn't play it enough to really comment on what I thought of it. I, I was initially taken aback by the idea that I was going to be sort of warping into a world and fighting things and then warping back out and then warping into another world. I was looking for, I was hoping for something that was going to be a little stronger, had a stronger story and felt a little bit more like say Final Fantasy nine. I mean, if I'm being totally honest, so I don't know. I have to circle back to that one though. So that this is not a, this is not a pronouncement on that game at all. It may be brilliant for all I know. So, so, the Last Guardian. The Last Guardian. Last Guardian. Another game. It's finally out. Um, I think that with The Last Guardian as opposed to Final Fantasy XV, I think you see two very different results um, from these protracted development times. The Final Fantasy XV, you can kind of see 10 years worth of oh, how about this idea? How about that idea? And all sort of glued together to create this house of cards that functions as a game. With The Last Guardian, it's it's very clear that, like, especially because with The Last Guardian, the way that, that Fumito Ueda works, um, as you may know, is, is that he creates a concept video um, for each of his games. And he creates this video that gives you the feeling of, like, this is what kind of game this is. And that concept video leaked uh, in 2008, I think, the concept video for Project Trigo um, before it was called The Last Guardian, before they officially announced it. And you can go watch that concept video. And it's like, and it's, you know, it's it's janky and it's, you know, like, you know, pre-production assets and everything. Uh, and that concept video is The Last Guardian. Like that that concept video absolutely the things that that video is trying to do, that is what the last guardian does. Um, like it or don't, you know what I mean? Like there's, I think there's people out there who look at the last guardian and they're like, well, maybe this isn't for me, but they absolutely did exactly what they wanted to do with that game. And it really, it really does seem like the problems were not creative. The problems were not like trying to figure out the puzzles and like how this sort of game was going to work. The problems were simply technical as they said, that the PlayStation 3 simply could not handle it, um, mm. and that it needed the PlayStation 4 in order to recognize that vision. I think when you start playing and all the things that Trico has to do, all the things the creature has to do, you can see um, how that would be so processor-intensive. Um, and it's like maybe they could have done it, but... You know, I I, I kind of have a feeling maybe Japan Studio and the, the manpower that they had at the time in Japan and the, as the, you know, the 2008, 2009 maybe was not up to that task. Chris, I was absolutely floored, stunned in a way I haven't been in years by two games this year. 
uh-huh. two games. One of them I, I know you're not as big a fan of, but you know it's my, it was my number one game this year, The Witness by Jonathan Blow. Oh yeah, okay. In terms of its impact, you know how I how I ended up relating to it, and then yeah, and, the last, yeah. and the Last Guardian, The Last Guardian. Yep. I was. That is you. If you had to say this is the kind of game that that a Matt Peckham will respond to every single time and find <laughs> yeah. and find 99 out of 100 positive things to say and 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 you know the nitpicks about you know I can't get get uh, Trico to to do what I want and it's not fast enough and 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 I'm having to hit the you know I'm spending 5 minutes trying to figure out what Trico wants me to do that's the one out of 100 you know for me because it, it what he I look at that game, and at least from my standpoint, I mean, I was thinking of jazz analogies like Ornette Coleman has. Ornette Coleman, the uh, 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 has a the jazz player has an album called "The Shape of Things to Come" or "Things to Come" or something like that. And and you know, it was sort of this. This is where where jazz. This is where music is going. And I played the Last Garden, and that 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 was echoing in my head like this is what i want to see games do this is the direction i want to see things go this is a bigger deal for me than anything else you know and the witness was the other one um just the idea i i was thinking about the turing test right the turing test is this thing that you know it's it, alan turing developed where you have texting back you know you have basically if you're sitting in front of a computer and someone else is sitting in front of a computer and you can't see each other and all you have is this text terminal can the computer fool you into thinking that you're conversing with an actual human being? And I thought, well, okay, so this isn't this isn't a Turing test. This is a non-verbal creature. And what would a Turing test for a non-verbal animal be like? Like, what would it have to do to convince you that it's alive? And he is doing things in this game that that there were moments where I completely and truly, honestly, sincerely forgot that I wasn't interacting with a, a live creature. I mean, just so amazingly nuanced, and yep. they, they've hidden all the seams, you know? It's hard for me to find, like, the, there are, like, the AI loops and all that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah, yeah remarkable. I, it's like, now that I, now that I know what all the puzzle solutions are, I just want to play it again, you know? I mean, maybe I will devote some time to doing a second run-through of this game, just because I just want to do it again and and do it a little bit less on, a little bit less on Deadline, you know, and a little bit less um, feeling that internal pressure to keep moving and, and, you know, keep solving the puzzles and just have a good time with it. Maybe just try to take in a little bit more um, of, of, you know, each individual scene. I know what you mean. I was, I worried about that as I was playing. I did worry. There were, there were points at which I did get, you know, where I was thinking, I'm loving this, but I, I could end up loving this so much that I miss my deadline because <laughs> I'm not moving forward. I'm not progressing. I managed yeah. to make it. I mean, I managed to, yeah. I was actually surprised. It felt like a, like I had been sitting there for 20 or 30 hours and I ended uh-huh. up getting the, getting the trophy, you know, the 15 hours or less trophy. So I, right, right, right. Presumably, presumably the game knows better than me how much time I spent with it. I hope so. Yeah. <sighs> but yeah, it's uh it's also a beautiful game. There were all these, strange complaints about it you know people saying the boy looks too simple he's not designed well enough and all that stuff and i, I played the game like i don't know what you're <laughs> what do right, you people right, expect right. it's a beautiful game it's just yep. it's, and that's and the beauty isn't is is so much more dimensionally you know a variable than just the graphical you know fidelity on, you know and there's a there's a thing that he seemed to be trying to do there i mean like in terms of keeping the boy's face a little simpler a little bit more almost cartoonish mm-hmm. um yep yep but God, yeah, I mean, give me, uh, 
give me a thousand last guardians. I want to keep playing. You know, I, I hope you're not going to get a thousand last guardians. You're not going to get any more last guardians. Like that's this is. Yeah, what does he do yeah. now? What is he? Because he was this was a hard game from him, right? He 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 got halfway through and he was very frank, right? He came out and he said something like, uh, like he, he he was depressed. He went through a whole period where he was, you know, having. Uh, sort of, you know, I don't want to say emotional difficulties, but, you know, he kind of talked about this. It was a very hard game for him, very painful game, yeah. I think, for him to make. Yeah. So do you think he's ever going to do? <laughs> he started his own video game. So, yeah, he'll do something. First-person shooter? The next, exactly, exactly. No, it's going to be a MOBA. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I mean, I think he'll continue to create video games and I think I think now it's just a question of who's going to sign him um, and sure what he's going to be able to propose and is he going to be able to say I mean again I think I think what they're doing is they're just doing the creative and then somebody else would come along and, and handle the technical aspects of it um, seems to be what he's what he set up him for himself with his company right so um I I think that there will probably be a bidding war, I, I, but I think that he'll probably just work with Sony again to do another game. But maybe it will be more achievable um, this time. Yeah, I can't imagine that that technology chase that somebody that comes in with a big idea. I mean, another one who has this, he, he seems to execute a little bit more quickly, but he it's a similar problem as Hideo Kojima. You know, t- can take a, a fairly long time and and get himself into trouble. Maybe we we'll never know why, but you know, with uh, uh, in terms of the money that he's <laughs> that he ends up having to spend to make his to, to get his vision to come alive. Death um, Stranding and you is want really it interesting and, because it's like okay, well now you've got everybody <laughs> super hyped, so now you got to make the game. Oh God, yeah, I know, and it's it's not fair because those teaser trailers for Death Stranding are. Are they're, they're magnificent, but they are only trailers. <laughs> right. right. So, well, I'm glad. So you liked it. I mean, generally speaking, you, oh, I loved you, it. you loved it. You loved it. So wonderful. Fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, just, you know, this game, it's, it's, it has too much weight on its shoulders. It was never supposed to be a game that was worth waiting 10 years for, you know, it was a never, it was never supposed to, but is it worth the wait? It's like, no, that's not what it was supposed to be. It ran into massive development problems, but it's not supposed to be this everything to everybody. It also ends up coming out at a time when any new game release by Sony is kind of pushed out to millions and millions of people as like the next big thing that they have to play. And it's like, well, no, this is like a small art house release. Like you're not, you shouldn't actually get too excited about it. If you don't love Eco and Shadow of the Colossus already, it's not, it's not for everybody. But unfortunately, any major game that Sony is making, it's built up as this, this this huge thing now in a way that it wasn't with the PlayStation 3 just because there's there's fewer games. Um, there's there's this more like this this um, this sort of like PlayStation Nation, you know, kind of thing has become more entrenched um, and and every new thing is supposed to appeal to everybody. And it's it's way too much pressure to have on a small artistic production like this. Um, but in the although, end, although, I, mean, although I am I a fan of those, of those projects. And so this is what I wanted as the, as the eco shadow with the Colossus fan. 
Isn't that it, it's I I generally agree with that. I think it's it's ironic though, isn't it, that like the PlayStation Two was still the market dominator, had all that many more systems, and and that was the system that you know uh, uh, ICO and Shadow of the Colossus lived on and were able to live on. And yeah, I think it's it, it's the classic story. You know, the the brilliant artist who who we we all go out and we say this is the best you know forget call of duty forget all these other games this is the best game ever that most people didn't play on the PlayStation 2 and right. so by the time it gets to the PlayStation 3 or the 4 you know all these people who didn't play those games or maybe they only got around to them in the yeah. collected edition are expecting it to be and that's and that's what I meant when I said this is going to be a game last guardian is going to be a game that's going to get talked about for years and years and years and I think I said something to the effect of like I'm looking forward to the book that somebody who isn't born yet is going to write about the last guardian. You know, yeah. this is a game that's going to be emotionally important to people, not just this year, not just next year, but like 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Um, that's, that's what we, that's what we have. And with eco um, and I posted, by the way, I don't know if you saw my original review of eco that ran an on America magazine. Oh. I put it on my, my personal site, Chris Kohler.biz, um, just to show people what I was writing about eco when it actually came out. Um, just for fun, but Eco did not sell well. You know, Eco did not review. Eco actually reviewed okay. Eco actually, it, when it came out in like 2001, it it did actually review pretty well. Um, so it's not to say oh people didn't know that it was great, but in general, it was not a really popular game. It was reviewed well by critics, but like wasn't really a commercial thing. Um, but we still very much talk about it today. Um, it's still you know, very much this game is incredibly inspiring today. And I mean, you're, you're going to see game designers in 10 years saying, well, the game that inspired me the most to make this cool new game I'm making is the last guardian. And they're not going to say that about dead rising Four. sorry, dead rising Four. I'm sure you're perfectly, <laughs> perfectly wonderful game, but yeah, I saw that people were writing stories that dead rising Four outsold the last guardian. I was like, wow. That's uh, really? Yeah, that really puts really puts the nail in the coffin of the Last Guardian there. Oh, I didn't my, see that. I, d- my, I didn't need to know that. You've brought me down. You my, me down. my rejoinder was that. <laughs> well, of course it outsold the Last Guardian. It's significantly more commercial. But Matt, but Matt, in 2011, Adam Sandler's Jack and Jill did almost double the box office gross of the artist. And we all know, of course, that when that came out, the artist had to give up all of its Oscars and and oh. send them all back in, in shame. Uh, <laughs> Because that's how that works. Um, so anyway, yeah. I think that brings a close to our holiday spectacular. Hope that hope that you and yours have a a wonderful holiday season. Um, what? What are you? I was just going to ask. Um, should we tell people what we're going to be? Will we be playing games over the holidays? Will you be playing any, or will you be taking a a merciful I, break from the game? Shtick? Um. So like, I finished. I. For a while there, I was wondering if I wasn't going to have to bring my PlayStation 4 so I could play Final Fantasy 15 um, over the holidays, but then it turns out that Final Fantasy 15 was like 30 hours and I finished it. Um, I've been thinking about this. There's nothing on 3DS that I really need to play because I'm not that into Pokemon and Mario Maker is basically worthless to me on 3DS. (laughs) And I just realized that the PlayStation Store a couple of weeks ago had their anniversary sale um, in which they put on huge discounts on many uh, classic games and role-playing games and uh, 
you know, PS1 games for the for the for the Vita amongst other platforms. So this may surprise you, but I think I'm going to bring the PlayStation Vita with me for the holidays because it is loaded up to here with classic RPGs that I bought for a dollar. Like, so that's probably what I'm going to bring with. That's probably the only thing I'm going to bring with me. I'm probably just going to leave my 3DS here because there's not much to play in it right now. Like PlayStation one games yeah. that are, that run in the, like, like, like PS one mode. Yeah. 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 No, no, no. Uh, hey, there are, it's, I, I mean, would, I'm not I saying I'm going to devote 50 hours to playing through Chrono Cross, but I might dabble, you know, I might play a little bit of Chrono Cross on the old Vita. Haven't played I, that in a while. I tried to do what you were about to do four or five or six months ago. I was trying to say, because the Vita has all that stuff. Yeah. And, and I realized, now I'm going to age myself here, that at 44, I can't look at a screen that small ah. for, for long. It's, not, it's nothing about, I mean, the screen's beautiful, oh. but my eyes start to yeah. go, ah, this is, this is starting to become a problem for me, for me now. This is going to right, be a problem. Right, right. It made me right. really kind of back up and go, oh, you crap. You know what you need is the Nintendo Switch. Nice. I need the screen. Switch and bifocals. That's Your what old I need. Man eyeballs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, yes. Good for you. Good for you. I am envious. Uh, wait, you're not that much. You're a little younger than me, aren't you? But not a lot younger than me, are you? I'm uh, 30. How old am I? Oh, my God. I don't want to think about this. I'm 36. Oh, you are a lot younger than me. Oh, my goodness. I've always had. You whippersnapper. I've always had, like. I've always been able to read the tiniest letters on the eye charts, though. I've always had really good vision. But even I have, I have very good, I just want to say, I have very good vision. There are enemies in Final Fantasy XV that I've fought, and I don't know what they're called, because the text on that screen is so miniature that I can't read it. See, I played it on uh, on the PS4 Pro on a 4k tv that had the i think it bumps up to like it's some higher resolution i don't know whatever it yeah. is and so the lettering is clear and so i could i could see it all actually so yeah but i mean i don't know it wasn't like it was unclear to me it's just that it was so it's tiny. really tiny yeah like most of the enemies i know what they're called but like there are some of them where i'm just like starts with an s not really <laughs> sure what it is um, well i i am going to because we need to we need to wrap up here. I am going to circle back to um, a game maybe you wouldn't expect after having praised the witness in the Last Guardian to circle back right. to, but I think I am going to actually go back and try and finish up the DLC to The Witcher Three because that's a game that I wrote about. I didn't actually review that game, but I wrote about it before I had finished it. You know, I mean, I, I wrote like a big a couple of big long pieces about it, but because it's so damn long. I mean, it's like a 300 hour game if you really play it at the highest difficulty setting which i am doing death march and all that stuff and that is just a that's another kind of astonishing game in terms of the writing i guess you know the quality of the storytelling it's doing things that uh again i gosh i hope that when bethesda comes back with whatever it's doing next that they're paying that they have paid close attention don't don't imitate don't rather don't mimic but uh i think my expectation level having seen that this is now possible you know like george R. R. martin time here i give us if you're gonna if you're gonna take me down the, the elf road okay because i'm not a big fan of elves but if you're gonna take me to elf land then damn it give me this level of uh engagement with the characters okay so that's right. that's what i'm gonna be doing is uh trying nice. to finish all that off Nice. All right. Well, thanks, everybody.
Thank you for putting up with my my gravelly coffee and cigarettes uh, voice. I appreciate it. It's the flu. No, no, it's not the flu. It's it's the sickness. It's okay. I kind of like Chris Kohler does Marge Simpson. <laughs> uh, so, um, yes, you've been listening to the Game Life Podcast. Thank you all so much. Uh, Matt, so nice to see you again. Hope you have Thank a you, Chris. great holiday season. Come find me on Twitter. I'll be tweeting. I'll be live tweeting my Christmas presents. Um, Kobun Heat, K-O-B-U-N-H-E-A-T. So you can find me. And I'm uh, M-A-T-T-P-E-C-K-H-A-N. Um. Yeah, thank you all uh, for joining us for another year of Game Life Podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll probably see you in early January. Uh, maybe we'll have played the Switch by then, um, or maybe we'll do one prior to um, when we will really dig into all the things that, that could potentially go wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a real nail biter, uh, so stick around, and uh, we'll, we'll catch you on the flip side in 2017. Thank you, as ever, uh, for listening. Um, and we will see you next time. Goodbye.